This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. From MPB Think Radio, this is Creature Comforts. It's the show all about your animals and the animals around you. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield is the retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. The outside temperatures might not always reflect it, but we're inside the fall season, and that brings some amazing natural changes. One of them being fall bird migration. Today on the show, to talk about the birds you need to look out for this fall is our good friend Joe McGee. He'll also talk about some of the other appearances this fall, like the beautiful fall wildflowers. It's a special drive time edition of the show today, so we're not taking your creature or pet questions, but you can show your support for this program by making a contribution. Call 1 888 372 4483. It's 1 888 372 4483, or go to mpbonline.org. Together, you and MPB can get this done. So, good morning, Libby and Dr. Major. Hope that you're both doing well. Good morning. Uh, We're going to start our discussion this morning by talking about the viral video of the hiker being stalked by a cougar in Utah. We're going to post a link to the video on the podcast of our show. Apparently, the hiker was on his usual run in Slate Canyon when he came across a group of small cats. Out of nowhere, the mother comes running up and stalks him for about six minutes as he slowly backs away. The hiker was unharmed, but officials say he did the right thing by not running and maintaining eye contact with the cougar until she went back to her cubs. So some reaction from both of you. Libby, let's uh, start with you. What do you think? Did you see the video? And if so, what, what's your reaction? I have not seen the video. I've um, uh, And I've not come across a cougar in the wild myself, although it's one of those kind of events that I, I have a secret longing to see, but also wonder how I would do in that situation. So um, it is nice to know that this hiker um, remembered what, needed to be done and did the right thing that's what we're always told is with a um an animal like a cougar that it's not a good idea to run because you're going to act like the prey animal when you run and of course this was a mother protecting her young which is maybe one of the most dangerous situations i guess a person can be in so um it's it's very exciting to to um to find out that this guy went through the event and is is fine and hopefully the mother and the babies are all okay, too. And maybe the mom will put the babies in a little bit more remote place from now on. Uh, so, uh, Dr. Major, I think what I've heard with dogs, uh, the thought is to not look them in the eye. Did I read this correctly, that the proper thing, or do you know, with a, with a wild cougar like this would be to, to keep eye contact? Libby, what about that? Do you know? Uh, Do we have to? <clears throat> now, yes, and that may have varied since I read it, but I have read. Now, with a bear, you're not supposed to look them in the eye. You're supposed to look away. I, I thought the idea partly with the cougar is that they need to see you and see who you are and that, you know, you're you're a larger animal than they're used to going after usually. And um, but I, I have read before that you do maintain eye contact with the cat, whereas with a bear, it's best to look away and just kind of slink away. 
Yeah, almost as if you're saying, "Hey, look at me. I'm I'm not uh, threatening you or your or your uh, your cub, your cat, your small cat. What's a what is a small cougar called? Uh, is it a cub? Uh, what a cub? Yeah, okay. I think that they're cubs. Yeah, and um, are kittens, but I think they're called cubs. Um, yeah, and maybe one of our listeners has read something more recently about what needs to be done. I'm sure that a lot of people are reading up on it because they've been sparked to do so by seeing this video. So, Dr. Major uh, is with us. So, uh, Dr. Major, is that the different? We we were saying that with bears, and I think we think dogs. Uh, the idea is not to look them in the eye. Do you know if that's different with with the cats? You know, a lot of it depends on the situation. In this situation, uh, I I think he did the right thing. At the same time, this cat was defending its kittens. I'll call them kittens. They may be cubs, but anyway, defending <laughs> yeah. its kittens. And if you look at those. Paws on this uh, cougar, they, they're about twice the size of a human's hand, the way she was doing. And she was doing basically a demonstration of, hey, get out of here. Uh, you're uh, possibly endangering my cubs, kittens. And uh, it was it was a good video that he had. I guess he had a uh, video on his, on his hat or something like that. Anyway, the uh, the thing with the dogs, it's going to vary. A lot of times, an attack with a dog, you're in close close uh, contact with them anyway, and uh, it's it's difficult to say that I would not look at a dog. I would rather know what the dog is doing uh, rather than look away for certain. Uh, that's that's a kind of a question that you'll know, hear so-called experts giving you advice. And this thing of uh, the bear, gosh, I don't know what I would do. Uh, they talk about getting down in a ball, whatever. Uh, I think you're probably in, lucky if you have an encounter with a grizzly to make it out alive or, in, you know, several pieces. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting. I, I would have to say that if I had an encounter with that cougar, I would be watching every move she made. I would probably be throwing rocks at her. There were plenty of rocks there. <laughs> I don't know if that would have made her more angry or what. But uh, he did the right thing and escaped without any injury, so that's great. You know, to me, what uh, what I think I admire most about him is, you know, we uh, humans have that natural flight or f- fight or flight reaction. And when that animal approached you, I think most of us, our first you know, instinct would be, I'm getting the heck out of here. So the fact that I guess he, as a as an avid hiker, probably knew kind of the rules of the road, as it were. And so, you know, to be able under that pressure situation to remember what to do, I think uh, we give credit to him for that. I know a s- similar kind of thing, you know, you always see these things on TV about if you're on the road and you hit an ice patch that you steer into this and Again, it's one of those where it's like, well, okay, you know what to do, but under the pressure of it actually happening, uh, can you remember what you what you've been taught? Uh, so again, give the, this guy props for kind of knowing what to do, um, and and you know, and 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 coming out of the uh, and then I guess too to have the wherewithal to uh, <laughs> to record it on a phone so that the rest of us can uh, virtually enjoy it and 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 kind of vicariously live through him. Uh, what an exciting uh, time that must have been, and I'm sure he felt uh, quite relieved. Uh, when it was all over with, right, and he did he did the right thing by not running, and you know if you're running, generally you're not going to be able to look behind you very well, and uh, if you turn around to look, see what's coming, 
you're probably going to trip and stumble, and that would be a mistake. So he did the right thing. Also, I'd, I'm not sure many of us can outrun a cougar. That uh, that's for sure. Uh, you know, the interesting thing about uh, the looking in the eye or not. I know with a house cat, they don't particularly like being looked at in the eye. I know my cat. Whenever you know, play play around with him. If I look at him, he's all, he's always looking away. So maybe that was another part of it. Is it's it's a bit of a distraction or something. So uh, what about brushes with nature? We often talk about them. Have either of you ever had a, a close encounter of a sort of a dangerous kind like this, Libby? What about you? Oh, I guess the most dangerous I've had is, um, well, that's, that's hard to say because I, I've not been in, now I've seen wild bear, but I've always been at a safe enough distance that it was wonderful to see instead of frightening. I can't think of anything that's been terribly scary. You know, the truth is probably the most dangerous I've been in is uh, crawling accidentally into a bumblebee nest and <laughs> stepping in yellow jackets. Those Ooh. are probably the most harmful. Uh, what about you, Dr. Major? Well, you know, uh, I guess I guess I'm trying to think while we were talking about this. Really, most of my encounters that would have scared you would have been with with dogs. Uh, I had over the years had boarded a uh, a tiger once or twice and cougars, and you have to be very Whoa. careful with them. I really don't like to do that, but uh, we can talk about the tiger story some other time. <laughs> uh, this this lady appeared on hard copy uh, later, uh, and she. <laughs> Uh, the, the tiger was part of her uh, act in gentlemen's clubs. So, y'all, can, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't understand how that happened. I did not go and uh, witness it. But the tiger, you know, the tiger's paws were bigger than catcher's mitts to give you an idea uh, that big. And uh, you have to be very careful with with that type of animal. So, yeah. anyway, I, I, I guess fear. How many times have I felt afraid? Not that many. St. Bernard one time, his name was Diablo. Uh, yes, I could have been afraid of him. He he was a dog that would go from neighborhood to neighborhood and just, he was big enough he could wallow down chain link fence and go attack other dogs, that sort of thing. And we, we had him at the clinic, uh, back when I had the clinic at Clinton. But uh, that was uh, a different story, totally. He was He was definitely a vicious animal. You know, Dr. Major, you're right about uh, one of my favorite parts of a zoo is the big cat, uh, you know, area. And when you look at them, right, the massive size of their paws, it really is kind of frightening knowing the damage they can do. Even even a, my house cat, again, getting back to that, his, you know, for his size, he has got some really big paws. And certainly I know even with his small paws and claws, he can he can do some damage on my arms and legs when he wants to. That's for sure. I guess right, my well, go ahead. While we're on this subject, certainly cats, when they are, uh, some cats will uh, trigger, something will trigger them, and they can bite and claw you very severely. Uh, a cat bite is nothing to take lightly, and I would suggest that uh, it needs medical attention. We can talk more about that later. Thank you for listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. In a few minutes, we'll welcome biologist Joe McGee to the show to talk about his fall-time nature, nature observations. But right now, MPB's fall on-air fundraising campaign is happening. It's an opportunity to support your community through a gift to this not-for-profit radio station. We call it Drive Time, and it's a chance for MPB and you to do this together. 
This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major and Libby Hartfield. Our guest today is our friend of the show, biologist Joe McGee. So, Joe, we love having you on the show. You always have your pulse on what's going on on nature. Uh, What are you seeing this time of year? At this very moment, I'm looking out one of my back windows at a beautiful display of narrow-leaved sunflowers. It's uh, a... I'm sure everyone has seen it. They may not have known what they were looking at. It, the, the, fly, the individual flowers resemble black-eyed Susans, but the plants are much, much taller. And if I were out there, you know, within three or four feet of that stand of sunflowers, I would probably be seeing some interesting insects like bees, bumblebees, and uh, flower flies, or the hoverflies. We usually think of flies as being somewhat uh, repulsive, but there are some beautiful flies that frequent wildflowers this time of year. And if I really got lucky, as I did yesterday, I might even see a monarch butterfly. So uh, that's one thing I'm seeing. As time permits, from time to time, I'll take a drive late in the day, and these stands of sunflowers are everywhere along the back roads. And uh, when there's an area where I can pull off, off the roads where it's safe, I can get out and look and find all sorts of interesting insects when you observe these flowers close up. So you you mentioned those hoverflies. Um, Are they pollinators? They are. They certainly are. We usually think of pollinators as being bees and butterflies. But flies also, a a number of species of flies are important pollinators. They do it a little differently than uh, bees. For instance, bumblebees tend to be species-specific or stand-specific specific they go to a specific flower uh over and over the bees just sort of bumble from one to another but in the process you know they're feeding on pollen and sometimes nectar and as they go from flower to flower they inadvertently uh move the pollen around which is important for the uh for the plants uh what do the the hoverflies look like they a lot of them look like bees they are bee what are known as bee mimics uh, they look similar. Some of them look similar to a uh, a bumblebee. Some look similar, or even more likely, they look uh, a lot like a honeybee. Or yellow. Some of them look like yellow jackets. I'll bet you some of the folks listening in have probably heard of a news bee, the so-called news bee. It's one of the hoverflies, and it's about the size of a small bumblebee. Makes a uh, a loud buzzing sound. Har- totally harmless. These flies are completely harmless. They have no stinger. They can't possibly sting you but sometimes the news bee will uh approach a uh an, a, a human and just buzz around their face and and uh their their body just just exploring but occasionally you see them around the, the fall wildflowers as well so dr major we know you've got an extensive uh, insect collection do you have some hoverflies yes i do yes <clears throat> i uh Wish there was a way we could show those, uh, you know, on the on the talk show, but uh, uh, quite a variety of uh, flies. And this is a perfect time of of year to go out, just like Joe said, to go out and uh, visualize all these different insects. They're they really quite a explosion as they uh, fall flowers and everything that you can see. 
Uh, we're going to mention frogs before the end of the hour, but the, let's spend a few minutes on uh, the cricket. Is there a certain type of cricket, Joe, that's active this time of year? There is. This is this is very interesting. Uh, a week or so ago, I got a, an unusual email from Paul Hartfield, and he had attached a recording he had made of something. He was and he was curious if I had any idea what it was. And as soon as I listened, I, I did know what it was. It happened to be something I hear around my house. It's called a mole cricket, or a northern mole cricket specifically is the one he had sent. Uh, I don't. I'm sure folks listening in have seen the signs of this insect on bare, moist, bare ground. You'll see a little, a little tunnel. It looks like something that a mole would have made. If you're familiar with the, the. the uh, the trail that a mole will leave when it's burrowing underground near the surface, though, it, the soil is uh, lifted up a bit. These crickets do the same thing, except it's much, much smaller. And uh, after rains, especially when a hurricane or it was a tropical storm, I guess, moved through, uh, tropical storm Delta, we got a nice rain in my area, about an inch of rain that night, and I was really hearing the northern mole crickets for the uh, next couple of nights. So, uh, I, actually, I, I have to confess, I did not listen last night, but I'll bet you a few were even calling then. You can even hear them by day, uh, but especially in the evening after the sun goes down, you can really hear them. And sometimes they will come to lights. They will fly to lights. I bet this is one that Dr. Major has in his collection. Uh, before we check that, uh, let me, since Paul sent that in, or the, the question, I, I bet you heard them too. <laughs> what, uh, what do these things sound like? Yes, definitely. And uh, gosh, I don't know how to make this sound, but it's, um, it's, uh, you know, crickets all have pretty much a distinctive, in fact, Dr. Ellinger is here right now, and uh, she's, uh, banding birds and also looking for different kinds of crickets on our place. So we talked about it a little bit last night, and she says that um, crickets worldwide always have that very similar sound, which I thought was interesting. We're looking for a cricket um, parasite. It's a fly, and now Troy might also, I'm too bad we're not all together here. I think uh, Troy and Joe may have seen these are little yellow flies, and they parasitize crickets. So they are out right now listening for the cricket sounds too. And they parasitize our local field cricket. In um, other parts of the world, there are similar things going on with other crickets. But um, so we're trying to catch the flies. We want to know if they're present here. So we um, have been setting a trap in the evening to collect the fly and to the bait is the sound of the field cricket. And of course that's gotten us interested in all the other sounds of the cricket. So that's why Paul was looking into that sound that he sent to um, Joe. So Dr. Major, do you have the mole cricket in your collection? Yes, I have the mole cricket. I don't believe I have the little fly though that parasitizes the crickets. That's interesting. Uh, I'd have to look at look at a picture of one or something to see exactly how they look but no i don't i'll send yeah i'll send you a picture and some information about it too because i thought you would be interested in it yeah absolutely one of these days we need to have a stump dr major on his uh insect collection because i don't (laughs) think that anybody would be able to do it uh 
I meant to joke with. <laughs> so uh, my cricket story, I remember when I first uh, started work way back when uh, at the radio station, I was doing the morning shift. So I would come in early in the morning and be the first, the only person uh, in the office. So I would be sitting there typing up my script for the day and the crickets would go, you know, that. That, as Libby was saying, that very distinctive cricket sound. And I don't know, it can be a little annoying, I guess, when you're there and that's you're trying to concentrate. And so I would stand up and try to go to where I thought the cricket was. And, of course, the cricket noise would stop. And then as soon as I sat back down, they would start chirping again. So uh, I guess they outsmarted me uh, way back then. Joe, why do uh, crickets chirp? What are they trying to tell each other or other things? I think it has to do with reproduction. I think it's males singing for the females. Um, what? All right, and uh, Joe, you're also our frog expert. Um, are there still uh, frogs active at this time of year here in Mississippi? Well, they're out there. They, they're, you know, they're, obviously they haven't gone to the moon, but they're, this is probably the most difficult time to observe frogs. However, it's not impossible. I uh, was. I have a, my own water pump, and I have. A, it's in a pump house. And I was out there just a couple of days ago, and there were a couple of squirrel tree frogs in in the pump house. It's real moist in there and humid. They they like moist conditions. And I also, um, I think it was yes Saturday night, or actually it was early Sunday morning, about one twenty in the morning. One of my cats had found a mouse. And was making a ruckus, and I got up to get the mouse away from the cat, and I found a squirrel tree frog in my bathroom. So they are around. If we have a rain event, you can, you know, a substantial rain event, you can hear uh, southern southern uh, leopard frogs this time of year. They they they've been calling actually since September when we had when there was a, a, a rain, especially over in the western part of the state, over in the Jackson and the Clinton area. You got a lot more rain than we did in the eastern part of the state. So those are two that um, you might experience. Uh, it, it, with frogs this time of year, it's, it's just, uh, you know, you don't know what you're going to see when, when it comes to frogs. I will, let me mention this. Uh, if listeners are familiar with iNaturalist, the website iNaturalist, somebody this week up in Holly Springs, Mississippi, uh, sent in an observation of an eastern spadefoot. That's a type of toad, and it was actually, according to the uh, information given, it was the frog was found in the town of Holly Springs, or the toad, the spadefoot. That's a pretty good observation for North Mississippi, uh, a spadefoot, and probably, I'm, I don't know for sure, but probably they had had a lot of rain. Spadefoot spend most of their time underground, but the rains will bring them out. And there was a photograph. Uh, folks could go to iNaturalist. And uh, see the photograph of this spade foot that was that was photographed in Holly Springs. So is that I as in the letter I or E Y E? What is how how they spell that out? It's it's I I the letter I uh, I naturalist. Uh, let me uh, make sure I can get that right for you. Uh, it's uh, my computer put it on. Uh, uh, on its uh we'll get it joe uh yeah, jobble will uh, put that up on the on the uh the the uh, our, the podcast of our show so 
Uh, we're going to have more, but right now I want to remind everyone that this is Drive Time here on MPB Think Radio. This show, Creature Comforts, and all our local shows are here because of support from listeners like you. So show your support this morning by visiting mpbonline.org and becoming a sustainer today. No matter if you use an app to start your car or still have a flip phone, Everyday Tech can decipher today's technology for tomorrow's solutions. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or the MPB public media app. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio, and I'm Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science, and Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. Our guest this hour is our friend, biologist Joe McGee. Joe, before we uh, hop away from our discussion about frogs, uh, you wanted to tell us about the pickerel frog. Yes, that was that was an amazing experience I had this summer. One of the highlights of my summer, if I do say so. Uh, I've mentioned on this program before that I was trying to photograph every species of frog that occurs in my county. I'd like to do it for the whole state, but that's pretty daunting. Pickerel frogs are a species that breed in the winter, in January, February, maybe early March. You can hear them on mild nights. And I have heard that. I know ponds where they occur, but seeing them is something else, and photographing them is really something else. Well, I went out to my pump house once again this summer back I think it was in August, and when I opened the door, a, a frog jumped to the back of the pump house, and I couldn't—I never was able to tell what it was. And I have bronze frogs in there. That's not unusual. I sort of thought, well, that's probably a bronze frog. But I sneaked out later on and was much more careful in opening the door. And when I did, I discovered a pickerel frog sitting on a little ledge in the pump house. Quite amazing. I got some really good photographs of it. So you never, and it's just not the time of year you expect to find them. However, there it was. It's real moist and cool and humid in the pump house. It sort of replicates what you'd find in a cave. I have seen pickerel frogs in a cave in Wayne County and up in northeast Mississippi in Tishomingo State Park. You can find them. And they're on, you can find them on the Natchez Trace on rainy nights. They're probably in every county in the state, almost every county, but they're just hard to see. So I got really lucky this summer with the pickerel frog. All right, uh, let's uh, transition to talking about uh, birds. Is uh, is this the time for fall migration? It certainly is. This is this week or mid mid October is probably the peak period of fall migration for the small land birds, the ones that move through the woods and the, and the forest and the trees, the warblers, the thrushes. Vireos, uh, I'm, I'm leaving out certain groups, but yes, this is the time to look for the small birds uh, migrating south. And one of my favorite group of birds uh, is the, uh, the warblers, the wood warblers. They're pretty easy to identify in the spring, fairly easy, uh, because the males are brightly colored and they're singing. You can locate them by song at least if you're not on the coast, I'm not sure they sing when they first arrive on the coast, but on up in the interior part of the state, they're singing, so they're fairly easy to locate, although they're small and they hide in the foliage. But this time of year, they're silent, and their plumage is also much drabber. Uh, the, their numbers are probably higher this time of year than any, any other time of the year because the adults have been joined by the young of the year, the ones that have successfully fledged. And those young of the year are especially drab or can, can really be confusing. So it's really a challenge, but it's a lot of fun. 
this week, uh, I haven't checked this morning, but this week I've had American Red Starts in the yard, had a, a Young of the Year in my bird bath one day. I could see it from inside the house. Uh, I've had Northern Parallels. I've had Tennessee Warblers. I've had lots of warblers that I heard and just got a glimpse of but did not identify. So, yeah, this is the time of year to get out and uh, and look for small land birds. So should people still have uh, feeders in their yard to uh, attract and, and give these birds some sustenance? And if so, what, what type of feeders? Uh, I... I actually feed the birds year-round. I put just a small amount out now, and it's really for resident birds, the cardinals, the Carolina chickadees, the tufted titmice, things like that. Uh, the wood warblers and the vireos, don't re- for the most part, do not come to feeders. They're really not seed eaters. However, there are things you can do to, to uh, bring them into your yard. One of the most important is a source of water. The, the day I saw that little red start, uh, I think he was, you know, I'm going to be anthropomorphic here, but I think he was really happy to find that water. <laughs> he hung around that bird bath for longer than most any bird I've ever seen. He seemed to really be relishing getting in the water, taking a bath, drinking, just really seemed to be enjoying himself. So water is a really important thing for these migrating birds. But we had a lot of a good bit of rain when uh, a tropical storm delta came through. It's, the puddles and so forth have already dried up. So a source of water is really important. But another thing I've noticed, the warblers hang out in the oak trees. And there's lots of tiny insects that we can't even see from the ground up in those on the leaves of the oak trees, and the, the uh, small land birds feast on those. And there's another tree that I've noticed them feeding on, and I, I was a little surprised. I've seen some of the warblers eating the fruit of a tree called a sugarberry, or folks may know it as a hackberry. And I was—I didn't realize—I I learned that just a few days ago. I saw the red starts feeding on the uh, the sugarberries, and I have one of those trees in my yard. So, uh, if you don't have one in your yard, you know you might uh, investigate trying to plant some food plant, you know, a sugarberry tree and other plants that produce berries for these migrating birds. Of course, they, they won't benefit from it this year, but they might next year or the year after that. Uh, Libby, are you seeing any of these uh, migrators uh, in your yard? Yes, yes. Thank you for calling on me because I wanted to shout out. I saw a male wood red start. They're one of my favorite birds, and I, uh, they migrate through. So I had a male red start, and he was probably my favorite this week. We had a lot of rose-breasted grosbeaks. Uh, I guess I haven't seen one probably since last Thursday, maybe last Thursday or Friday, but I had a, so I had a lot of those and um, there's several things in the yard today that I've got to go look at as soon as we get off the radio, but um, it's very few hummingbirds. I think I have three hummingbirds this morning. What about you, Dr. Major, seeing any birds in your area? Always. <laughs> yeah, I, I really am falling down on my identification of course every morning when i go out it's still dark taking the dogs out uh i'm still hearing the owls they're they're pretty vocal this time of year it seems like so they're they're doing territorial type things i believe but a lot we have a lot of pine trees and a lot of the little small birds are up in the canopy there you can see them flitting around but too far away for me to identify most of them 
So, uh, Joe, you know, we uh, often play sounds of birds and frogs and that sort of thing when you come on. And a lot of times uh, it's it's difficult to determine, you know, because one creature doesn't say things and everything else, everybody else stop and, and let him chirp or cricket or, you know, or, or whatever. What are some tips for when you're out in nature kind of honing your ear and doing a better job of trying to figure out what you are around uh, through hearing it? Well, this this time of year, as I mentioned earlier, uh, not many of the birds are singing, and so you have to listen for what are called chip notes or call notes. The birds constantly communicate with each other. And if you'll focus, when you hear a chip note and you can determine where you think it's coming from, if you'll focus on that area, you'll see the foliage in the, in the trees begin to move a little bit. And if you'll put your binoculars where you see the movement, without you know without looking away just lift your binoculars up to that spot often you will and you're, and you're a little bit patient the bird will eventually reveal itself if you do this long enough though if you you know bird, bird watching has to be an open-ended thing you can't say i've got to you know go, get back in the house and vacuum the floor in uh, at nine o'clock because uh it takes time and while you're looking up in the trees, you know, at every leaf that moves, you will develop what's known as warbler neck. <laughs> your, neck your neck will begin to ache. So, uh, but it's a lot of fun. Uh, but you have to focus on just one sound at a time. I might mention this, just this is a personal thing, and I don't know if this is true or not. But I, over the years, I like to listen to classical music, and I practice listening to one instrument, you know, in an orchestra, say. And I think that helps me pick out one bird sound from many, even in the spring especially, when, when so many are singing at once. So, yeah, it sounds like the key is to, um, as you say, kind of focus on one thing at a time. And, it, and imagine, you know, you're excited about being outdoors and, and there's so much going on that you could get distracted. But if you'll just uh, set that focus uh, kind of laser on that one thing, that will help you uh, figure out what you're hearing and maybe getting a chance to see. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio, funding provided by listeners just like you. Yeah, you're the one that helps us out. To become a sustaining member and part of our funding foundation, visit our website, mpbonline.org, or you can call 1-888-372-4483. It's 888-372-4483. Stay tuned. Coming up next on MPB Think Radio, it's autocorrect. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 for another edition of Creature Comforts, heard only on MPB Think Radio.